1967, Cool Hand Luke, Paul Newman, stars as a prisoner on a southern chain gang who has, shall I say, a thing for authority. Well, that's not quite the best way to put it. He is bucking under any and every expression of authority that there might be. And the, uh, the prison staff, the, uh, the, the prison warden is determined to, to break this man, to, to mold him into the system. And there, there's, a, there's a line, a classic line that's oftentimes quoted that comes from this film. My, my understanding it's number 11 on the American Film Institute's most memorable movie quotes. Some of you probably know this. I'm not going to do it in the, the accent and the all that, but, but sorry, no. What we've got here is a failure to communicate. That's the line. It really marks, it put, keeps that movie on, on the map uh, year after year after year. I've thought, thought about that, that line just a little bit this past week in connection with um, prayer. And uh, my own struggle in a life of prayer. I mean, at times, now be honest, at times I wonder, do you, is he listening is God listening? Is he, if he is, what's he saying? If he is listening, what, what am I saying? What am I supposed to say? You, you see, a failure to communicate. Even at a fundamental level like that in the Christian life, and it's something as, as, as essential as prayer. Well, turn with me, if you have a Bible with you, to Philippians 1. Uh, we're going to press on this week in our, in our series through this letter. Uh, we call it a book, but it was originally a letter to a church there in Philippi. Uh, if you're trying to find that, uh, again, it's in the New Testament. It comes after the Gospels. It's early in the letters, after the Gospels, after Acts and Romans and the Corinthian letters. Uh, then you have Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. We are in Philippians 1. This is, I think it's our third installment uh, in this, this series, so we're really just getting going. Um, we're really honing in, in particular, this morning on verses 9 through 11, but uh, in order to really have a sense of the flow as to what Paul is saying, I'm going to back it up, back to verse 3. Okay, so we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to read on through verse 11. So... Here we go. Hear now God's word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent 
And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Pray with me. Lord, as as has already been said earlier in the service, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. So our opinions, our assumptions, our presuppositions um, dry up and wither uh, before you, before the word that endures. Um, We need to be uh, grounded in your word. We need to, to know and be reminded even as we begin this time in these next few minutes in the study of your word that uh, your word is reliable. It is trustworthy. And so we can stand upon it knowing that it will not give way. It is the word of God. And yet at the same time, this this reliable, trustworthy word is also authoritative. So even as we stand upon it, we must stand under it, kneeling, kneeling really. And so we ask that you would help us to somehow be able to do both at the same time and help us to hear, help us to to learn, but not just learn of the mind, but learn of the heart, and really both, yoked together yoked together, that we might then live in accordance with your word, and delightedly, joyfully, expectantly so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are are many guides to prayer, uh, many new, many old, uh, a well-worn, a well-tread path, I guess you could say, in terms of how those studies oftentimes are structured, is to look at Jesus' prayers in, in the New Testament, and certainly there's one that many of you are familiar with. It's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, as found in Matthew 6, and then a slightly different version there in Luke chapter 11. Another place that we could look, if we were going to go in that uh, direction of that kind of study, would be what is referred to as his high priestly prayer, the prayer that he prayed on the night before he was crucified, John 17. That's certainly somewhere else that we could go in terms of looking at how Jesus prayed. We could also look at Philippians 1. We could also look at Philippians 1 to see Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus' prayer? Jesus didn't write this, right? Paul wrote this. You're confusing me. Hang on. Paul was an apostle an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that that he was a witness of the risen, resurrected Jesus, called and appointed then to serve as Jesus' authorized agent and messenger, which means then that what we find here in in the New Testament, what we find here in these letters is that what Paul wrote, as he wrote, as we find here, even in these words that we've just read from here in Philippians, is that he is writing in the name of, with the authority of Jesus. He is an apostle, you understand. So this apostle's prayer, verses 9 through 11, we really could also understand as being the Lord's prayer. As we come to grapple with what Paul's desires were for his friends there in Philippi, at the same time we are seeing what? His Lord's desires were for his friends there 
in Philippi. You see, Jesus has shown us what his desires are for us. He's not left us in the dark. He's not left us to wonder. Jesus has shown us his desire for us. And it would seem that we should then long and strive for those things together. He has shown us. He has told us. He has revealed these things. So we're going to look at that just for a few minutes here together. Let me give you some markers in terms of how to understand the flow of this passage uh, all the way back, uh, starting in verse 3, all the way to verse 11. Verses 3 through 8. We looked at this last week. Paul is, is, is revealing to the reader how it was that he prayed, the heart with which he prayed these things, the things that he had, the, the burdens that he had uh, for, for them, how it was that he prayed. Verses 9 through 11 is what he prayed, the substance of those prayers that he has begun to speak of already in verses 3 through 8. Specifically, verses 9 through 11, three things. The things that he prayed why he prayed them, and how, what he had in mind, what his hope was. So what he prayed, why he prayed, how he prayed. These three things that we find here in verses 9 through 11. Let's take a look at these, uh, this, this prayer, the, the, his record of how it was that he prayed for his friends there in Philippi, how he prayed in light of the gospel. Well, what? We see the specifics of what he prayed there in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He's praying for love that will abound, love that will grow, love that will mature. Now this is love, by the way, and love is defined by the Bible. Agape love is, is the Greek. Um, not a sweet and sentimental Valentine's Day card kind of love but a love that is costly and sacrificial, a love that is focused not on what I can get out of you, but what I can give to you. That's the kind of love that Paul has in mind here that will abound, that will abound. It's a love that will not stand still. Paul has already alluded in verses 3 through 8 to the fact of their love, the reality of their love, their expression of their love, the partnership in the gospel that they shared. They have demonstrated such love, but Paul is saying... That, needs, that is good, and that is laudable, and it is of God, and it needs to grow. It needs to mature. This love needs to abound. But he doesn't stop there. He says this love needs to abound with wisdom. Um, two things, two components of this wisdom. This, this love needs to be, you might say, it's, it's like a, a, a young plant that needs to be staked, Right? And, and, and strengthened in the direction with which it will grow. Staked and strengthened by these two things, knowledge and discernment. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. Knowledge of God in His Word. Knowledge of God in His ways. Knowledge and discernment. The ability to see. The ability to perceive. The ability from God to apply that knowledge of God to all of life. To live it out. An experiential Knowledge, you might say, in the sense of discernment. The, the, the ability to take what you know in your head to flow then into the heart, to move from the library out into all of life. A love that is abounding. That's what Paul, abounding in wisdom. True growth. Not wild growth. 
true, fruitful growth abounding in love, staked by wisdom. And what Paul, right here from the outset, would have us understand is you can't have one without the other. You can't have the love without the wisdom. Now, some of us might trend in one direction or the other. We might be, you know, kind of heady people or kind of emotional, affectional uh, oriented. But that's really a false choice to say, well, I'm going to either be knowledgeable or I'm going to be all about love and application. That, that, that's, that, biblically, those two things do not go together. That's a false choice. Put it this way. Knowledge of God without love for God is no mark of a relationship with God. Knowledge of God with no love of God is no mark of a relationship with God. That's a false knowledge. That's not the kind that he is, is interested in. And so my point being that Paul, the apostle of Jesus, is relaying to us what our, his Lord, our Lord's desire is for us, how he wants us to pray, in fact, what our longings ought to be, what our greatest longings ought to be, love abounding with wisdom. So the question then begs to be asked, is that our desire? That's the desire that he's made clear is our Lord's desire for us. Is that ours or are we just settling? for temporary, transitory, passing things. Not to say he doesn't care about the temporal needs that we have, but in terms of priority, in terms of order, what are we most longing for? Is it, is it as it should be, love abounding in wisdom? Okay, well that's the first point. The second is this. We move past the what, the specifics of what Paul is is longing for from his friends in light of the gospel, then we see why. Why he longs for these things in the lives of his friends in light of the gospel. Let me start back in verse 9 and read a little bit further this time. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. He has two... Um, Time references in mind, you might say, just in this brief passage, these brief clauses here. The first is this day, now, the here and now. And what he's, what he's longing to see is, and what he's praying for is the ability to approve, the ability to test, the ability to examine. You know, that knowledge and discernment will then flow over into this ability to approve, to test, and examine. The, the image there is like a discern. A, a person in a marketplace, a discerning buyer, trying to figure out what's the best thing to get in, in light of all the, the, compete, the competing products out there. You know, taking the camel for a test drive, uh, so to speak, I guess they're in Philippi. The ability to approve, but not just approve anything, but the ability to approve that which is excellent, that which is, or superior would be another way you could translate the word. His desire is that we would be able to approve what is, what is excellent. And by that, to at least these two things, that which is morally superior, that which is, we would understand and be able to identify that which in any given situation is in accord with God's commands, in accord with his wisdom, in accord with his word. 
But not just that, but also a sense of applicable wisdom going a little further in a practical sort of sense that we would be able to distinguish the significant from the insignificant, the important from the unimportant, to be able to major in the majors and minor in the minors, that we would be, have this ability, this love abounding with wisdom, that we would be able to prove that which is excellent, approve that which is excellent. Even now, even in, in, in this day, and yet at the same time, he has a, in, in mind that day. So even as we're living here in the present, we're looking towards over the horizon, we're doing that with that, that day, the, the day of the return of Jesus in mind. Our eyes, this future orientation, our eyes set on our king, whose rule has already begun, and one day upon his return will come in full. Um, abounding in love with wisdom that we might be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This, this purity, a, a purity, a, a transparency about us. No, no hiding, no... No mixed motives, a purity about us in light of the gospel, a, a blamelessness about us in light of the gospel, not stumbling nor causing others to stumble either. And all of that, this fruit of righteousness, those two things really sort of what he has in mind there in a way. This is why Paul is praying that our love would abound with wisdom, that we would live in, in this way, we would live in, in this way, in light of in, in now and also in light of the future. Now, this is completely countercultural when you think about it. To live in this way now, and yet also in light of that day to come. It was completely countercultural then in the first century Roman world. I mean, there were already ethicists at the time who were expressing their concern about the debauchery and the self-indulgence and the sensual experimentation and the material decadence of Roman society. Does that maybe sound like it could carry over to another culture that you know? And then and now, Christ's followers are called to live as a city on a hill, as salt and, and light, with, uh, are, are the moral standards distinct by which we live, but also, I might say, the moral compass oriented for a day that is coming, not just given towards living for today, but that day engaged fully now because of what's coming then in light of the king and his coming, the return of this king. Again, the Lord has shown us here, just coming back to this, the Lord has shown us through his apostle what his desires are for us, how he wants us to live. These are the kinds of things we should be longing and striving for, praying for ourselves and one another. Okay, but all that in mind, with all that in mind, what Paul is praying for, why he has things, these things in mind, how, though, could these things come about? What's the promise? What's the assurance? What's the surety that Paul has here? Okay, I'm going to read the whole thing again. It's not long, so hang on. It's just three verses. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How indeed, how indeed is this going to happen? Life comes through the Son. Life comes through the Son. Through Jesus, because of His finished work on the cross, ours can be a restored relationship with the Father where we are completely forgiven, completely restored, completely reconciled, and completely accepted and acceptable in His sight. A new life. Life comes in the Son. But not just that, not just new life, but a renewed life. Whereas He, over time, presses and impresses His love for us, upon us, and it works its way into our hearts, over time, that love begins to overflow back to Him and to one another. So life comes, new life, renewed life, comes through the Son, and all praise, all praise then to the Father. Praise and glory, or glory and praise, as Paul says there. Now, by the way, that's already begun. The work has already begun, this transformative work of making us more and more to conform like his son, and Paul is reflecting on that and how there is evidence of that in their lives and in our lives. And so he's saying, in essence, just as that work has begun, so too has the praise and the glory begun. In heaven, and for those who have but have eyes to see on earth, here as well, glory and praise to God, as it should be, God the center of his universe. All praise and honor and glory to him. So what Paul, again, what Paul's after here is, what his heart's burden is, is love abounding with wisdom, with this day and that day in mind, all coming by God and all glory and praise to God. And when you think about it, this is completely about Jesus from start to finish. It's the fruit of righteousness. And what does Paul mean by that? Righteousness, almost in every case, when Paul is using that word, he's making reference to the work of justification, is the fancy word there. Meaning, according to Paul, that we are standing before God, is secured fully and finally by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That is the righteousness that Paul is speaking of here. And he's saying there's a fruit of that. There's an effect of that. That, when you grasp that, when that comes into your heart, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, I stand before God. That has fruit. It does something. It changes you. You see, we don't think of righteousness that way, do we? I throw righteousness out there at you, and you look bored. So do I. We look bored. It's, it's dull. It's barren when we think of that word. But Paul says, no, not this way of understanding it. It's not dull. It's full. It's not barren. It's flourishing. Life flowing from an understanding as to who we are and how this could be. Put it another way. To follow Christ is to live. 
is to taste life and to fully live. Now, he has shown us here in just passages like this what, how he wants us to live and how this could be. He has revealed it to us. Oh, that we would long and strive towards that. But let me just say something else in closing. It's not just that he's shown us. It's not just that he's sent us a memo. It's not just that he's pointed in a certain direction. It's not just that he has shown us. It's that he is showing us. It's not just that he's um, contracted out a guide and said, I hope it works out for you. He is the guide. He is the shepherd. He is the one who goes with us to lead us all the way. Some of you may have uh, seen in the news just recently, I think it was last week or week before last, Maria von Trapp, the last surviving member of the original seven von Trapp singers. Sound of music. Come on, people. Right? The 1965 Julian Andrews movie. Come on. Um, loosely, I read a little bit on this, loosely, apparently they did, they did not go through life every day just singing. So loosely... <laughs> based on a, uh, a 1949 book written by, yes, an Austrian woman who married a naval officer who had seven children, who was a widower, who had seven children by another marriage, and they got married, and she taught them lots of music. And then in 1938, they did, in fact, escape from Nazi-occupied Austria, right? And you know, if you've seen the movie, right, um, you know how that's how the movie ends. That's what they're they're crossing over the hills and they start singing. Well, I can't remember if they're singing, or at least the orchestra's playing. And I'm not going to sing this, but climb every mountain, right? Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow. I was like, really? They said this? Follow every rainbow till you find your dream. It's, you know, go back and listen to this. What they said. Now, can you imagine? Here's the how it should have ended version of the film. Okay, here's my my tweaking of the ending, okay? So the, the, it's, it's the part of the film nobody got to see. It's in the blooper reel, all right? It's in, it's in the extras. Um, so they, they, the adults, are the, the music comes to an end, the adults and the children cross over the first hill, and the adults just stop walking, and the kids go a little further, and they turn around, and they all say, no, no, that's it, we're done. You're on your own. This is as far as we go. You figure it out. We're going back. Say, oh, it's okay, it's okay. See that hill over there? Well, yeah, I know it's like 50 miles away. But see that hill over there? There's this guy we've heard about. He'll help you over the next pass. Goodbye. How would you feel? How would they feel? That's crazy. It can't end like that. It didn't end like that. It wouldn't end like that. Why? Because, of course, those parents, those adults needed to go with the children to show them to even carry them all the way through those mountains, through those passes. And my point, just bringing that ridiculous version of that movie to your attention, is Jesus does not just, but I think sometimes we think this, he does not just point the way and say, figure it out. He goes with us. The intensity of his desire for us, as expressed here in the prayer of the apostle, the intensity of his desire for us is that he doesn't just point the way, he goes the way. He went all the way. All the way. Living and dying for us, which is what this is about. Living in our place and dying in our place. 
which is what this is about. As we go through the mountains, as we go through the valleys, as we go through the passes, as we can't see, as our, our knees feel bruised and our ankles feel turned, he goes with us to carry us, to get us home, to strengthen us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may our love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, that we may approve what is excellent, that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Let me ask the elders if they would come forward as we are going to take this time to celebrate the supper. I know we've gotten out of order. I apologize.